When Denver Mayor Michael Hancock announced the public stay-at-home directive in March of 2020, many people almost immediately descended upon liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries, fearing they would not be able to do so after the order took effect as such retailers were not listed as essential. However, less than three hours later, the mayor clarified the order to include liquor stores and pot shops as essential. By then, lines around the block had formed at many stores. Greetings again, I'm Adam Morgan. Now, a year later, reports indicate that adult alcohol consumption has increased an estimated 14%. Particularly eye-opening is among women. Their increase is 41%. Although light to moderate consumption of alcohol is acceptable for healthy adults, When that consumption turns excessive, the health problems, both long and short term, can have serious effects. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated for many their feelings of loss, insecurity, and high uncertainty. One way too many are managing such stress is through the consumption of alcohol. The consequences of excessive drinking can remain long after COVID-19 has been mitigated. Providing us insight regarding the effect of the pandemic and alcohol from Denver Health Medical Center is Dr. Dale Terasaki. There's definitely a lot of need for alcohol use disorder treatment in the community, and uh, particularly at our hospital and our health system. Um, my role is in the, in the hospital setting, and so I provide addiction consults to patients that are admitted to the hospital for potentially other reasons, although many times they're admitted to the hospital because of alcohol or an alcohol-related reason. And so uh, at Denver Health, uh, you know, we've always had a lot of patients come in because of alcohol-related reasons, but definitely during the pandemic, it seemed like at certain points there were increases in these alcohol-related admissions, and so we'd be working on trying to set them up with treatment and uh, treat their withdrawal, uh, which was often present and uh, give them other resources um, to get into recovery if that's what they desired. Yeah. Is a lot of the, or is some of the alcoholism that's going on, it's many cases, maybe I get this wrong, it's the underlying reasons which drives people to use alcohol, maybe to forget about their circumstances or to medicate. Is it the underlying issues that drive the excessive drinking? I think many times, uh, yes, it's the underlying issues that show up as an alcohol use disorder uh, as more more of a symptom. But I, I want to uh, mention that the alcohol use disorder itself becomes its own beast uh, later on for a lot of people, even if it is primarily driven by an underlying factor like stress, um, uh, you know, a history of early childhood trauma or uh, other reasons or a large genetic predisposition. Um, you know, the alcohol use disorder becomes its own uh, disorder, its own syndrome with uh, different criteria. Uh, they, they find that they're losing control of how much they drink, finding that they have tried to quit but have been unable to, finding that it's having real impacts in their life like um, their job, their relationship, their physical health, their mental health, and uh, giving up activities, you know, all sorts of things that really define and characterize an alcohol use disorder. Um, so, yeah, definitely lots of uh, things underlying the alcohol use disorder, but um, it becomes its own syndrome uh, in, it, in, it, in and of itself as well. Yeah, you, 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 in saying it becomes its own syndrome, um, I may be interpreting this incorrectly, but is there a, 
I guess, a path of return before it becomes its own issue and problem that people can uh, help themselves and, and perhaps uh, learn to control it better because before it becomes a long-term issue that they're going to need a lot more help with? Well, that's a great question. Um, my impression is that alcohol use disorder really shows up differently for each person, although a lot of times it shares a pretty common uh, biophysiological pathway in the brain uh, when it is um, a severe disorder. You know, definitely uh, patients or people in general uh, can be drinking a lot of alcohol, and uh, there's the question of when does this actually become a disorder and when is it not? And if you quote-unquote catch it early, does that make a big difference? And, you know, I will say the patients that I see in the hospital, you know, by the time that they've arrived in the hospital, they almost always have a severe alcohol use disorder, and we, we tend to treat that as a chronic condition. So mm-hmm. kind of like if we were talking about diabetes or talking about heart disease or high blood pressure, you know, things like that. These are considered uh, chronic conditions. Now, can they sort of go away? Um, there are, you know, the rare cases where these sort of chronic conditions do become well-managed, and then for some people they even uh, do go away in a sense. You know, for example, I think about for patients with diabetes, sometimes yeah. if they get uh, gastric bypass surgery or some other uh, pretty intense interventions, um, the diabetes aspect uh, may actually go into remission and and not show up again. Um, But more commonly, you know, diabetes is a very chronic condition where you're taking medications long-term, you're you're seeing a doctor long-term. And so, you know, when I talk to patients with alcohol use disorder, I I consider it a chronic disease, even if, you know, there is the rare chance that, you know, um, they, they feel like it's becoming a problem and then they just put it down. Um, you know, with or without external support um, and it right. goes away. So most of the time I do uh, talk to patients and counsel patients about how it can be a chronic disease and may, may need to be managed uh, long-term, you know, uh, with varying degrees of intensity. Uh, sometimes that includes medications. Uh, sometimes that includes um, counseling. And sometimes it includes support like mutual support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous um, and Life Ring and Smart Recovery. Um, there's a lot of different groups that provide support, um, you know, in addition to professional help. Yeah, some people are just looking at this pandemic itself as just, uh, well, once we get vaccinated, it'll go away and it's done. And so I can go back to what I was used to doing. And so the reason why the question came up is that this really looks like because of the mutations in the virus that this is going to more fade down slowly until it finds a place where it's going to be, if it's going to be endemic or not. And if somebody's using alcohol right now and they can go back to work again, they can go back to concerts again, uh, does this give them another way to cope where they could say, hey, as long as I can get back to what I was used to doing, I can stop doing this as long as I haven't hit a place where it's been unhealthy for me to continue doing it yeah that's a really interesting uh question a really interesting thought as far as you know whenever the pandemic does become less of an issue in our society you know who knows when that will be exactly i i don't think it like you're talking about i don't think it'll be an abrupt closure to this pandemic um you know will some of the the drinking habits that were um or the drinking patterns i should say 
that were developed during the pandemic, will those go away? Uh, my uh, my worry and my suspicion is that no, they won't fully go away, even though people may be going back to work or people may be um, having more interaction with people and getting back to um, uh, pre-pandemic life. Um, you know, partly that's because, you know, if, if they did develop a, an alcohol use disorder during the pandemic, um, a lot of times they may have um, burned some of those bridges and actually it may be harder to get a job afterwards or it may be harder to um, reestablish some of those uh, relationships and connections uh, in society. Yeah. And so uh, that, that may perpetuate this sort of cycle that people will be in where alcohol really plays a huge part of their life and um, prevents them from functioning in the way that they want to. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, alcohol use disorder was, was definitely hugely prevalent before the pandemic uh, right. here in Colorado and um, probably worsened during the pandemic. A lot of data has shown that people were drinking more during the pandemic. People are drinking more. And there's more, um, you know, visits to the emergency department because of alcohol. And then, you know, firsthand, I saw a lot of hospital admissions because of alcohol-related causes. Um, so, you know, people, uh, it got worse during the pandemic and after the pandemic begins to subside and people are getting vaccinated and things like that, you know, I think alcohol use disorder will still be bad. I, I do hope it gets, um, better, um, but I certainly don't expect it to go away in, in any, any sense of those words. Um, you know, something I would like to talk about is, you know, specific, yeah, sure. um, specific kind of instances that I saw you know, maybe this would add a little bit of texture to um, the struggle that people go through, uh, especially the patients that I've seen in the hospital. So uh, pretty early in the pandemic, um, I was consulting on a lot of patients in the hospital admitted for various reasons, many times alcohol-related. And I started recording, uh, you know, with their permission, um, you know, at times when, when patients would ask uh, sorry, I, times when patients would report, you know, you, usually I wouldn't even ask them, but they would say, you know, well, doc, you know, I, I came in and um, I'm, I'm feeling terrible and it, this all had to do with me drinking and that all had to do with me losing my job and, or that had to do with me uh, not being able to get treatment or, or all sorts of reasons that were connected to the pandemic, all sorts of reasons that were connected to, you know, not necessarily the virus itself, but, um, the societal impacts that this pandemic had. And, right. um, you know, for example, a lot of the time, probably half the time um, or a majority of the time, people referenced a job loss. That was a huge factor in why people reported that they relapsed with uh, alcohol. Um, you know, secondly, people talked about um, isolation. So, for example, um, they're having a lot of stress in society and suddenly they have no one to talk to. And so... Uh, they're sitting sure. around and in, instead of experiencing all these uncomfortable emotions and uh, the stressors of life, uh, they drink, which which works, you know, at helping them not experience that in the moment. And, um, you know, another factor had to do with the resources that were available. You know, patients would come in and they might, may have been engaged in treatment before, and then suddenly um, there's less beds available, less appointments available. Uh, they're not, you know, connected with technology very well. And so uh, they lost con connection to some of their resources. Um, and this led to, to more drinking. Are we also adding to the problem in a um, new kind of way? I call them online drivers where uh, 
people have started uh, attending bar chat rooms on their computer or Zoom meetings with alcohol, virtual happy hours are going on. Have we added to the problem using those? And perhaps if, uh, if people are using those types of venues, they ought to look at maybe reducing them to make sure that uh, they can reduce their, lav- their levels of alcohol consumption. I think that speaks to a larger cultural um a larger culture of drinking, I would say, uh, in the United States, but also in Colorado specifically. You know, Colorado, a huge part of the economy is based on alcohol uh, with craft breweries and, and things like that. And, you know, yeah. I'm not going to say that I don't enjoy enjoy good craft beer. Um, and so there's, there's definitely cultural factors involved here as far as uh, leisure and how people interact. And, uh, you know, when people are interacting online, it's, it's certainly... Uh, can be easier to drink a lot more um, than one normally would um, because there's kind of less people l- looking at you directly drinking. You can you know, drink off screen or maybe everyone's drinking together. You know, that's definitely a factor. I think something to be aware of is, you know, potentially for, for your audience, if, if you're joining some groups where, you know, it's a virtual happy hour where uh, drinking alcohol is uh, maybe expected or encouraged, just be aware that, you know, wonder if people in that group, some of them might actually be struggling with an alcohol use disorder, you know, and uh, you might not know about it, and it's not their, you know, um, obligation to tell you. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, just be aware, you know, uh, be checking on, you know, your friends and colleagues and, and people that you're in these meetings with um, if you notice um, things seem a bit off, you know, and obviously things will be off for many different reasons during this pandemic, but, um, you know, check in with, your friends and colleagues to see if there are other emotional issues going on, other stressors that uh, they may need support in. And so, yeah, be aware that uh, people around you might be struggling with an alcohol use disorder, uh, mm-hmm. and that might affect how you behave. Um, and, yeah, and I think, you know, for the people that are in these settings that are struggling with an alcohol use disorder, you may be feeling pressure to, um, to, to drink in some of these social situations online, you know, uh, this, in these cases, it may actually be um, easier for you to not have alcohol because, you know, no one's looking <laughs> at your drink necessarily or tasting your drink, you know, for you. So this, this could be an opportunity if you, you know, definitely do whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, seek help if you can, if you're, if you're struggling. Um, and, and, you know, I would say don't feel the pressure to, you know, be intoxicated or drink uh, drink alcohol in some of these social situations. I know you said that some people, um, in trying to manage it, could possibly have a relapse. Is this something, this pandemic, it's something those who are recovering from alcoholism have to really pay attention to if they've been in recovery for a while to make sure that oh, uh, at least try to not go back again simply because the circumstances have changed? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, this is something that, you know, I would pay attention to. Notice if you're having cravings. Notice uh, if your situation is causing a lot of stress, which may be leading to other triggers of of wanting to drink. But I I do want to mention just um, some words of compassion. You know, if you're struggling with an alcohol use disorder, you know, this pandemic obviously was out of your hands. And, um, you know, if you do find yourself increasing your alcohol intake, uh, don't take that as a personal, uh, personal fault, a, a, a source of shame, a source of stigma. 
Um, this, is, this is something that was out of your hands, and uh, many factors that go into alcohol use disorder are out of people's hands. And so, um, you know, a lot of times if people are kind of uh, focusing on the shame aspect of, oh, I am drinking more and I'm losing control and this is all on me, this is all my fault, um, that can be counterproductive. Uh, that can lead to, you know, ironically more drinking and uh, more problems associated with that. So, uh, you know, I just want to uh, express a word of compassion. Um, you're not alone. I want to say that. And I also want to say um, don't be hard on yourself in the sense that this is all your fault, that you should feel ashamed. Uh, those things are right. not true. You know, what is, what is most pragmatic here is recognize noticing what's going on, um, being open about it um, to the extent you're willing, and seeking help if you can. Um, I know resources are, are always hard to... Um, hard to navigate um, because, because of many reasons. One reason being that we, we tend to treat mental health and addiction issues in, in our health system very differently than we do for medical, physical issues. And, yeah. uh, and to me, that's a travesty. Um, you know, I think there are efforts ongoing right now at the state level and uh, in hospitals and, and in the society at large to treat those more equally, have parity between them, uh, but that is an ongoing process. Um, and so, again, my, my word is, uh, my, my word of compassion is um, you're doing the best you can in many cases. Yeah. This is not 100% your fault. Uh, diseases in general, you know, it's usually not even helpful to talk about things in terms of whose fault it is. Um, you know, what, what you need to know is you are, uh, you are cared for, you are loved by the people around you. Uh, I... I suspect uh, more than you know, and yeah. you should um, seek help if you're able to, if you if you can. Um, you know, definitely. Uh, you know, we need more more resources putting put into access to care for patients with alcohol use disorder and other substance use disorders. Well, the Centers for Disease Control, I guess they were they indicate that a, a drink a day for women is okay, so that's seven a week. And for men, two a day is okay. That's 14 a week. So for me, that's like, yikes. <laughs> well, that's a lot of stuff. But uh, added to that, I, uh, I was reading one of these studies that said uh, drinking among women is up 41%. And some of it was tying, tying it back to not only uh, having to take care of themselves, but they're with the kids for this remote learning, and they're not used to doing that. Do you have any insights for the uh, for mothers that have to cope with children day after day after day, hours after hours, and this may be leading them to medicate using alcohol? Yeah, this is a really challenging issue, and I think there's not one solution to this. Uh, this is yeah. definitely a big stressor for many parents out there, uh, a huge a huge new environment, uh, both for the, the parents and the kids, and it's creating a lot of new situations that people have to adapt to, uh, a lot of constraints on time, a lot of constraints on, um, on personal wellness, and uh, all sorts of other issues coming from that. Um, again, you know, um, alcohol use is, is going to be prevalent in these situations. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. That is a, a fact. Um, you know, I would say, uh, again, pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to, you know, the effects. You know, what's going on before, you know, I drink? What's going on as I'm drinking? You know, is that yeah. leaving some stress or is it leaving some 
some other emotion that I might not even be aware of right now. Um, and then mm-hmm. what happens afterwards? You know, do I find myself less functional or more functional? Or, you know, how is my time with my kids? Um, do, do I feel a sense of guilt, you know, as I'm doing that? Um, and uh, do I feel like it's, it's having any tangible effects? Um, do I feel yeah. like there's, you know, I intended to drink one drink like was perhaps recommended, uh, but I ended up drinking three. You know, like there's all these things to just be paying attention to um, and, and having, you know, I just want to encourage, you know, there's, there should be no shame about seeking help about this, about talking to others about this, um, even though in our society, you know, we do have some, some stigma associated with alcohol use disorder. I recommend um, or, or just provide some comments about what you mentioned and what uh, some recommendations say as far as, sure. um, you know, perhaps a drink a day for women is quote-unquote healthy, and perhaps two drinks, one to two drinks uh, for men a day is perhaps healthy. Um, you know, some, some more recent data has come out uh, from some large-scale studies that have really questioned those assumptions, and I think uh, we may, in fact, see some recommendations change um, in the near future about recommended alcohol intake. Um, I think proponents uh, in, in the addiction medicine world uh, who are specialists in this who really, uh, and, and really experts, researchers, who really um, do not agree with those uh, recommendations of there's a, there's a safe and healthy amount of drinking that we should be recommending to people. Um, it's, it's often recommended that, um, that, yeah, there's really no safe amount of drinking that we can for sure recommend. Um, and, you know, there are some, um, th- there's some conflicting evidence out there as far as how uh, how beneficial alcohol could be in terms of heart disease and um, and cardiovascular health. There, you know, earlier studies have suggested that yes, maybe maybe there's a benefit for actually drinking, you know, two drinks a day of red wine, you know, that sort of thing. But I think more recent data and opinions have come out um, that they, that may not actually be the case. Uh, there's some statistical reasons for that. You know, for example, I'll just mention, um, you know, you survey a ton of people. Who, uh, how much they're drinking, and then you look at their cardiovascular health. Now, and sorry if this is getting in the weeds a little bit, but those people who report zero drinks may actually be less healthy than the ones reporting one drink. And why is that? You know, you could you could infer that oh, it's because of the alcohol, because they actually should drink some alcohol. But another reason could be these are patients that maybe have an alcohol use disorder, and maybe they have quit. You know, maybe they are not drinking anymore because previously they used to, you know, and, and they decided it's not worth it and they need to stop. And, and their health may be uh, much worse for that reason. Um, and so there's a lot of um, questions that go into this research about, you know, what is a safe amount of drinking? Um, right now, in my opinion, I, I know there are other recommendations out there, but my opinion is that there probably is no exact safe amount of drinking that we should be recommending for, for people. What can uh, families do when uh, people are trying to cope and they are, are not, uh, not consciously wanting to pay attention to warning signs? Because, as they say, the easiest person to lie to is yourself. Um, and so some of them will. So what can families do to, to uh, help them or at least point these things out so they can get themselves some help? I, I will say... First off, that I am no expert on family therapy and sure. dynamics, okay. um, things like that, and so I uh, I may not have the most um, the most relevant information here. 
but I will say, you know, stress is a huge, you know, driver of why people drink. Um, but I, you know, will will add that stress is also normal. You know, stress is also a human experience that we all have. Uh, you know, I will say a lot of people drink uh, to excess um, when the primary reason or the primary driver, they may be conscious of it or not, is um, so they don't have to experience something. Uh, right. Not necessarily, you know, drinking for the pleasure of it. They're, they're really drinking so they don't have to experience something. Um, a lot of times it's an uncomfortable emotion. Um, a, lot, a lot of times it's uh, stress or guilt or sadness or fear uh, or um, yeah, worry about something. Um, maybe memories are coming up from their past. Uh, maybe it's boredom, uh, which which could also be a different emotion. Um, all these things that come up for people for daily uh, come up for people daily, and it's not necessarily pathological. It's not necessarily abnormal to have these emotions. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, it's hard. Depends on the the way you're looking at it. Um, alcohol work at helping you not experience certain things. And so uh, we have to recognize that, and and that's why I have compassion for you know people who do drink to excess and have an alcohol use disorder. Is you know alcohol, unfortunately, is is a tool, is something that can work in the moment at not experiencing some of these emotions, and right. um, it, it it unfortunately leads to much worse consequences later, uh, usually, uh, for a lot of the patients that I see. Um, and so it, it it can be a real challenge. What I will say is, you know, anything you can do in your family um, to be in good communication, to be patient with each other, to uh, potentially spend time apart if if that is is required. You know, spending some time doing doing separate activities if need be, uh, and then coming back together and having open communication, being affirming to each other, um, and uh, and being honest with each other. I think that these are some things that we can do. Um, you know, an open communication about what your needs are, uh, whether that's, you know, I, I do need some time to myself right now, and this is, this is nothing, nothing to do with uh, you. It's, it's just for my own personal health and, and wellness right now. I need some time for myself. Uh, I need to hop on the phone and talk to my mom. I need to hop on the phone and talk with a friend. Uh, I need to get on Zoom and, and be part of a, uh, another social connection or, or something like that. I need to listen to music. I need to... Um, do an activity that I used to do um, that used to give me joy. Um, you know, or at times, you know, let's all sit down in front of the TV and watch, um, watch an appropriate program together, watch a movie together where uh, that doesn't require a whole bunch of effort and we can be with each other, um, you know, w- without, uh, you know, potentially um, being too much with each other uh, for some people. Now, some people are saying, um, well, you know, I can go on and, and have some beers and some alcohol with no problem because it's not going to affect the contracting COVID-19 at all. But the things that my research indicates that, yeah, that alcohol can uh, break your immune systems down. And, uh, and with COVID being respiratory and going into lungs, that makes your lungs a little more susceptible to uh, COVID coming in and really giving you a bad time. So there's some physiological effects of alcohol that can be tied direct to COVID. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I think that's an important point to make is that, 
um, COVID itself, the, the infection itself, um, can be made worse by chronic alcohol use. I think that the data is still uh, forthcoming as far as exactly figuring out what that risk is and how, how bad it is. Uh, but I think there's yeah. uh, a fair amount of agreement among medical providers that, you know, alcohol uh, potentially can decrease your immune system um, or dysregulate your immune system in different ways, uh, which could potentially make uh, COVID uh, worse. Again, I, I, I think the data is still uh, not 100% clear on that. Um, but as a general recommendation, I would say, you know, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, this may make your immune system worse. Um, and have other effects on your body as well. It tends to uh, affect many organs in your body and make them weaker uh, or damaged. And uh, that could certainly uh, predispose you to a bad case of COVID uh, as opposed to um, a very mild case of COVID. From a public health standpoint, um, alcohol also um, tends to decrease people's inhibition, uh, makes people make choices they wouldn't otherwise make, and it probably increases the chance that you uh, maybe in close proximity to others, for example, at a bar, things like that. So social distancing is probably worse when you, you throw alcohol into the mix. Um, you may also be injuring yourself, um, and uh, you know, which may send you to the hospital, like I've seen a lot. Um, you may be driving impaired, and um, that might also put you at risk for other reasons. On this edition, our focus topic has been COVID-19 and alcoholism. Providing the expert insight is Dr. Dale Terasaki of the Denver Health Medical Center. We thank him for his time for this edition. Should you know of someone who may need assistance or yourself due to alcohol, assistance is available at Denver Cares Detox at Denver Health 24-7 at 303-436-3500. That's 303-436-3500 or at Denver Recovery Center at 833-934-2574. That's 833-934-2574. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay in your game. Mask up and stay six feet from others when going out, and we appreciate you sharing a few minutes of your weekend with us.